Welcome to the 156th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Paul Dwaran, author of the Mike Bowditch Mystery Series. This interview was recorded live at the Crime Bait Conference in Boston, Massachusetts. Stay tuned for my interview with Paul Dwaran. The Reading and Writing Podcast is sponsored by the book-loving nerds at Riffle. Riffle is an online book community that connects readers with authors and books that they'll love. Readers use Riffle to find the next book that they want to read. And authors use Riffle to make their books stand out and drive sales. Join the Riffle community today at rifflebooks.com. That's R-I-F-F-L-E-B-O-O-K-S.com. And look for the link in the show notes as well. Uh, welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Paul Dorian, the author of the Mike Bowditch Mystery Novels, a series of mystery novels featuring Mike Bowditch, a main, uh, main game work. Massacre Pond, the latest book in the series, was published in July. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Sure. Well, uh, for those listeners who haven't read Massacre Pond yet, how would you describe the novel? Well, it's an unconventional murder mystery in the sense that the murder, initial murder, is the murder of moose, and uh, it's actually uh, ten moose, um, which is in you know makes sense in terms of what my protagonist does, which is he's a game warden, mm-hmm. and game wardens in Maine um, are actually fully vested law enforcement officers. However, you know most of the cases that they work are wildlife crimes and, you know, boating accidents and that sorts of things. So uh, my editor had been pushing me for a long time to try to to, to do a, a story that connected with what wardens truly do, mm-hmm. and um, this one presented itself. So Great. Well, when you wrote your first Mike Bowditch novel, The Poacher's Son, did you know you wanted to write a mystery novel? Um, and did you did you find the character of, of Mike Bowden in the process, or did you start out knowing you wanted to write about a game warden? You know what? Actually, I started out with an incident. Um, I'm a journalist by trade, and uh, I had been writing short features for a magazine that I was working for, and there was a bear in one of the, the nearby towns that was roaming around from farm to farm killing pigs, and it was only killing pigs and eating them. Um, and I I just found it fascinating for reasons I don't even understand today. So I wrote a little item about it. Um, and then one day I went home and I found myself writing just a little vignette um, from the point of view of that warden. And uh, from that, uh, it sort of began to grow in the sense that the warden is was at the crime scene the farmer is reporting his dead pig. Um, the, the warden then uh, returns home, and I know nothing about him. Um, and he has a phone call, a message on his voice machine. Um, who is it from? It turns out to be from his father. I know nothing about who the father is. I don't even know this character has a father. Uh, the father says, you know, I need help. 
And it really sort of took off organically, I think, from there, where um, you know, one scene led to another, led to sort of more questions in my own mind about the character. Uh, and then, you know, I knew that there was obviously the potential to write a series about this, this uh, person, um, at least professionally, in the sense that uh, game wardens are involved with so many crimes in the state of Maine. I mean, they're involved with not just the things that we think of as, as sort of the, the work of, of fish and game people, I mean, you know, poaching and, and that right. sort of thing. In Maine, a, a game warden is, is fully vested with all the powers of a state trooper and will investigate all crimes uh, from littering to murder. Now, they're usually, at a certain point in a murder investigation, of course, they're pushed aside for the state police detectives. But um, uh, it definitely struck me that this was a, a ripe right, right. Uh, area. And, and you mentioned you had written nonfiction before that. Yes. Was that when you started writing that vignette about, mm -hmm. you know, inspired by this bear incident? Mm -hmm. Had you written fiction prior to that? Yeah, I, I had. I mean, I've always wanted to be a novelist. It's been my lifelong dream. And, and I think that um, it was a great case of, in my life, of, of wanting to write fiction and having nothing to write about. And then in my 30s, um, things began to kind of come together. I've always been an outdoorsman. I've always been passionately interested in, you know, in fishing and hunting and, um, and the woods in general, just nature, uh, the, you know, the birds that are singing, the mushrooms that I'm seeing, that sort of thing. Um, but I never saw it really as the stuff of, of fiction. And in fact, you know, for a long time, I didn't even think that, that it was a viable subject. And then something happened that I began to realize that, you know what, this is actually um, what I have to write about, is the name that I know um, and closely observe. The question is in what format and what kind of genre. Right. Um, I uh, I went to Yale. I studied with the deconstructionists. <laughs> I come from a very formal uh, literary background. My 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 classmates are very well uh, regarded. Potential you know Nobel Prize winning writers: Chang Rei Li and Claire Massoud and Andrew <laughs> Solomon. All these great, you know, great writers. Um, but at some point, I think, you, you know, I, I came to the conclusion that, no, that's not me. I, I'm, I, I like mysteries, and I respect mysteries, and want to write them. And I want to write them well. I think that uh, a crime novel can be a work of literature. Uh, you know, I think, as I've often said to people, more um, readers turn to Raymond Chandler today than they do to John O'Hara. They were both writing at the same time. Right. Um, you know, one had a certain reputation. Uh, the other was thought of as being kind of a pulp writer. Um, and yet Chandler has endured in a way that O'Hara hasn't, frankly. Right, right. Um, and so what was the, when you finished that first novel, The, the Poacher's Son, what was the path to publication like? Did you already have an agent or did you? I did not. I, uh, 
to simplify a, a, a very complicated story. <laughs> and every path to publication, I think, is a complicated yeah. story, at least it, for most writers, yeah. I would imagine. Um, I, uh, I wrote the book and I revised it many times um, until I had a completed manuscript that I thought was maybe ready to, to go out. Uh, and I gave it actually to an ex-girlfriend, which, you know, is especially dangerous <laughs> for lots of reasons. She was not in it in any way, shape, or form, uh, which is probably why I was, I was willing to share it with her. But she's a really excellent writer, and I really respect her opinion. And she read the book, and she said, um, I think you should send this to Dennis Lehane's agent. Uh, and which took me by surprise. I respect Lahaina a whole lot. Um, he's a fantastic writer, talent. Um, but I don't write like Dennis Lehane in any way. Um, turns out she was in a writing group with Dennis Lehane. And I think that she, what she was saying was that my book didn't remind her of Dennis Lehane, but that I personally reminded her right, of Dennis right. Lehane. So I found out who Dennis Lehane's agent was and, uh, and approached her through various means um, and it turns out actually she was interested in the book uh, she has a connection to the state of Maine so that was really helpful for me um, but you know obviously with when you write something there are no real trick uh, well I shouldn't say that I mean if you're I guess if you're uh, snooky yeah you know there are there you can vault over things Lauren yeah. Conrad or whatever but you know for the for the rest of us we have to go by the rules right, and right. you have to have a book that stands on its own sure sure well well for the novels that you're writing how much research do you have to do I mean you obviously said that you're an outdoorsman already um, do you do you do much research or do you have anybody in law enforcement look at the book I don't have anybody look at it I um, I would say that my, my, my research falls into two categories, and one is personal, which is to say that I, I spend a lot of time outdoors so that I could tell you um, in a given month, for instance, uh, well, let's take the month of May, that in Maine, that you're more likely to see and hear palm and prairie warblers early in the month. And then late in the month, you're more likely to see black pole warblers. So these are things that I just know from being outdoors. Um, but you know, there's other, there's a whole lot of issues that come into the books that I don't know anything about personally. I'm not a law enforcement officer, and um, you know, I've tried to study the main criminal code and that sort of thing. But there's lots of you know. Uh, discretion that's applied or not applied. Um, so I, 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 I've cultivated uh, relationships, uh, good relationships with um, with the warden service, um, individual wardens, retired wardens, uh, fish and wildlife biologists, um, attorneys, those sorts of things. And that I think is really my. That's me being the journalist, right? You know, right. where I'm, I'm, I'm doing sort of the, you know, the shoe leather reporting. Sure. 
So I know you mentioned earlier that you you taught this class yesterday about pacing. Yes. So, so any any broad kind of like you know tips? I mean, I know <laughs> I know you spoke for like an hour or so, but I any, did. Any any well, kind of like basic tips on, on pacing for, for mystery or? Yeah. Well, and pacing is is an interesting uh, topic, and and I was happy to to discuss it because um, it's crucial to the telling of any story it's, you know what I when I started by comparing it to tempo in music which is that you know when you, a composer writes a piece of music they decide you know at what speed they want their audience to experience it and it's the same thing I think for uh, pacing in in writing which is that it's it's the writer deciding guiding the reader guiding the reader's experience you know how how do you want to read this book at what point do you want information at what point do you stop wanting information and really want action and dialogue you know how do you get in exposition into the mix uh, at what point should you stop doing that you know we all have experience um, especially with mystery novels I think of of you know, getting to a point in a book where we begin to skip pages, it's like I, I don't, I don't need to. I, I what happened? What happened? What happened? You know, and um, and so I think it's really incumbent upon the writer to to be very have a lot of self knowledge about how your reader is reading you, and and to take responsibility of their experience, and of course, you know. Um, we all want to be entertained, or, or and, and you know, educated as well. Sure. Um, but <clears throat> when you have reached the point where you really just want to be entertained, you you sort of stop wanting probably to be educated too. Right. That's not my that's not my time to tell you the difference between you know uh, a twelve gauge shotgun yeah, and a yeah. four ten <laughs> shotgun. You know, that's yeah. I should have done that you know chapters earlier. Right. Right. And so is that something that, that, that um, as you're writing, I mean, in terms of the structure and plot, I mean, is that something that you find yourself, you know, if you're reading a draft that, or reading a first draft, is it something where you look at, at specific pacing and say, maybe I should, like, not do as much exposition here um, in this scene? Well, you know, the way that I actually write my first drafts is um, quickly, mm-hmm. for one thing. Um, but also uh, organically in the sense that um, if I decide uh, I'm sort of pulled into a tangent um, on to, I'm trying to think what I just was working on the other day. There was something that I went on for a while. <laughs> I found myself going on for paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs, and it wasn't necessarily you know, advancing the plot. Um, it was actually, you know what it was? It was about the way that uh, small boys um, talk to cops about their guns. Um, and this is based on conversations I've had with police officers, which is that, you know, a cop will go into a school and want to talk about all sorts of different things, and the boys are only interested in the guns, you know. And so this turned into three or four paragraphs of what was essentially exposition, um, uh, and I let myself go with it. Um, 
you know, I, I very soon found myself in uh, a chapter in which it was a lot of dialogue. When I write dialogue in the first draft, I don't pause to add lots of details about somebody scratching their chin or yeah, yeah. all those sorts of things. I just I write the dialogue fast. Um, I write action fast. I think that the way that the writer writes, uh, the pace at which the writer writes can then transfer itself into the way that the reader experiences the work of fiction. So, you know, I want to make sure that when I am writing, um, you know, the, you know, the, the climax of the book right. that I'm, that I'm, I'm as eager to get to the yeah. end as the reader is. Yeah. Gotcha. And, and how much plotting do you do beforehand? I mean, with, do you, do you know, you know, kind of the ending before you start? I know the ending. I would say that's probably the only thing that I know. I, I, I've been forced, um, the publishing industry, <laughs> uh, likes synopses. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if, if you, if you want to have a career, you find yourself having to write them, um, in order to get new contracts and that sorts of right. things. Um, so I've, you know, I've gotten into the habit of, of learning how to, to, to write a, you know, a 5,000 word description of, of, right. of the action. And I have to and say... The, and does the book that you end up writing, I mean, do you ever turn it down and write the editor says, that's not the synopsis I read? <laughs> uh, yes and no. I, 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 what, what I try to do is I try to use it actually as um, a rough guide for myself. I've actually, I've enjoyed actually, you know, um, starting to use them. Uh right. Because I had always thought that a book, and still believe actually, that a book needs to be organic. Right. Um, that if I'm not surprised, the reader's not going to be surprised. But I also find that in order for me to have a little bit of, you know, to not roam off in weird directions across yeah. the prairie, um, having some idea of where I'm headed is, is not a bad idea. Yeah. So, I, you know, the, I think it, it really is like, you know, having a map in front of you and saying... Um, Okay, I'm, I'm traveling from Maine to Dedham, Massachusetts. I know I need to be at Dedham, right. but you know which way do I want to go? Exactly. I have all kinds of options <laughs> at my disposal. So sure, sure. So what are you working on now? I'm working on the fifth uh, Mike Bowditch book. It's called uh, The Bone Orchard, and uh, it's um, it takes place. Let me think. How many years? About a year, a little bit less than a year after Massacre Pond. Um, what intrigues me about working on this series is that uh, I really went into it once I decided that I was going to be writing a series mm -hmm. from the standpoint that um, the character was going to grow and change and mature um, from book to book. And so when I think of a new book, it's less about, oh, this is a great uh, uh it's hook. It, it's less of a you know. It's not high concept. It's more where well where is Mike now? Where would Mike be now? Right. And what's the what's the best story to convey his growth as a person and as a character? Right. Right. Um, so so what what books and authors have you read recently, either fiction or nonfiction, or it doesn't have to be mystery that, that impressed you that that you would possibly recommend? 
when, I, when I'm sort of in the thick of writing, I have a, a real problem reading fiction um, in the sense that uh, if I read something that's really good, I start to copy it. I, I, I acquire... It's like uh, the, you know, the Woody Allen movie, Zelig, you know, where you sort of begin to mimic you know, somebody else's style. Um, on the other hand, I think it's really important for, uh, for novelists to, you know, to keep reading. I mean, it's, reading is, the, is, the, is, is sort of the first step to writing. Um, so I've been reading, actually, uh, a few things uh, recently. Uh, I read uh, Canada by Richard Ford very impressed by it um, really uh, and actually th I thought it was really applicable in a way to what I'm doing as well um, in his descriptions of, of country and uh, characters and that sorts of things um, I've also read uh, uh, let's see um, uh, the Joe Nesbo books. I'm catching up on Joe Nesbo just because he's hot, you know. And uh, I, you know, again, I think that's one of those things. I think you feel like you have to sort of know what the market is, where it's going. Sure. And he's very entertaining, actually. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't know that he he provides me a whole lot of guidance uh, in terms of what I'm trying to do. But uh, I recommend his books. Right. Great. Well, well, thanks. Again, we've been speaking with Paul Dorian, the author of the Mike Bowditch mystery novels. Masquerade Pond is the latest book in the series, and it's in bookstores now, so grab a copy. Paul, thanks for doing the interview. I'm, I'm pleased to have done it. Thank you. Great. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.